our Hollywood Heights, here's Bob and Suzanne. A chicken joke! I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. Baby, you're the great. Here comes the judge. More cowbell. That special. There's anything wrong with that. And now for something completely different. There's no business like Welcome to Where Hollywood Hides. This is podcast number 32. My name is Bob McCullough. Hi, Robert. This is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. Hi, Suzanne Herrera McCullough. Happy October. Happy. It's October, and why Why am I sweating? Halloween is around the corner. Yeah, I know, but I'm hot. I know. It's been 99 degrees in Santa Barbara. I have not worn. Ago. I have not worn socks since April. Well, you never do anyway. But, you know, it's... You're a sandal kind of guy. I like summer, but enough already. I'm ready for a sweater. Oh, you're spoiled. Hey, listen, today I'm really excited about the interview we have lined up with Melissa Sue Anderson. As in Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, she's Oh, a, I used to love that show. She's had a terrific career and we'll be getting into some of the details of that and you know how i like trivia right i do you're kind of the 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 font the maven of trivia you know 20 years ago there was a very big movie that came out which one i'll give you a hint life is a box of chocolate forrest gump that's right 20 years ago uh it was made it was a huge blockbuster the only other movie that made more money that year was the lion king which I don't think I ever saw. But I've seen Forrest Gump about 50 times. Oh, at least. And I'd see it tomorrow if we could. You know, that was one of the very first movies to really incorporate computer graphics in the production. State of the art. Really. Very cutting edge. They put Forrest Gump in the room with Richard Nixon and they, they started with that floating... And Elvis. And... Right. And the, the floating feather at the beginning and end. That was all computerized. Incredible very, movie. Real groundbreaking stuff. Did you know that Matthew Broderick was considered to play Gump? No way. Would that not have changed everything? In, uh, yeah, because you can't think of it without thinking of Tom Hanks. But then came along Robert Zemeckis, which is the director. Then uh, Tom Hanks came on board as Gump. They both decided to take no salary and just some points Are you off the kidding? movie. Yes. And that movie has made a trillion dollars. So I know you are just really curious about who was born 50 years ago in show business. Oh, here's Miss Hollywood Trivia. That's right. Rob Lowe. Okay. Mere Babies, Sandra Bullock. Really? Courtney Love. All the same year? Yes. And uh, something that I remember vaguely, but was a very big deal, Sidney Poitier became the first African-American to win the Oscar of Lilies of the Field. And as it, as it so happens, I'm currently reading his autobiography. The guy was born in the Bahamas. It's oh, a, we didn't even plan this, it's, really. No, it's, a, it's an awesome story. His, his life story is beyond belief. I mean, you, I really recommend it. It's called This Life. It was published years ago, and I just happened to pick it off the shelf. You know, it's one of those books you buy. You say, I really want to read this, and 20 years later, you still haven't read it. I'm reading it now, and Sidney Poitier had quite an incredible life. Hey, listen, before we get into uh, talking with Melissa Sue Anderson, I want to remind everybody to go to wherehollywoodhides.com our website, and they can see show notes and all the links to all the various products that are referenced in the the life story of some of the people we're talking to. But most importantly... Our book. Our book is on the website. Where Hollywood Hides, Santa Barbara, Celebrities in Paradise. It's a very easy book to pick up. All you have to do is hit that Buy Now button. You'll get free shipping. It comes to you quickly. It's hardcover, full color. It's really a coffee table collector's book. We got a very exciting email the other day, which read... Please send more. We are sold out. Santa Barbara bookstores are doing pretty well with it. So we're very excited. Please go to the website at wherehollywoodhides.com and take a look at the book. I think you'll be glad you did. 
and the experience was so much fun. We are on our second book. Suzanne's got a whole series of books planned, so stand by for that. So listen, uh, Melissa Sue Anderson really started acting really as a young child, and her big break was on... Little House on the Prairie. With Michael Landon. And she went from that to, gosh, a long career doing uh, episodic work, acting in things like Murder, She Wrote, Hotel. She and I worked together on a show called Dark Mansions for Aaron Spelling. Uh, she was, Which really, you know, that show was really ahead of its time. It was a great movie. Uh, it starred Joan Fontaine, Michael York, Linda Pearl, Paul Shinar. Gosh, there was a it's just a stellar cast. And Melissa Sue Anderson was key in it. Uh, she played a very central character. And after that, she went on and did a number of TV movies, uh, episodic work for the next 15 or 20 years. And well, I think she has a lot of good insights as to how a career is built. And, and her life story is pretty remarkable. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk to Melissa Sue Anderson. Here's Melissa. Melissa Sue Anderson, you have had one of the most iconic careers in television history, and you started really, really young. Give me an idea, if you can, what was your first, at what point in your life did you say, I think I want to be an actress? Well, uh, it, it actually worked out a little bit differently than that, but I, I was a dancer before the coaching part to be their next big star. But unfortunately, he didn't have the acting experience to go along with it and the personality. So he was all foot, footwork, but he didn't have that kind of, you know, uh, magnetic personality and he didn't have the acting experience. So he thought I had potential as a dancer. And he thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could be more well-rounded and, you know. Anyway, long story short. Um, now, Melissa, it, how old were you at this That's point? the thing. I was around, I think, seven and eight at that time. You were young. And I, I overheard him, you know, talking to my parents, talking to my mother. And, uh, and, and so eventually I caught on to what he was saying. And I thought, oh, acting, that, that sounds fun. <laughs> I can't believe I said that because I was very shy. So, uh, but I, I, really, I really can't believe I said that. But, but I did. I was, I was fascinated by it. So my parents really thought that it was such a difficult business to break into that I would, I would quit. I wouldn't want... Sure, because you were shy, right? I was shy, yeah. and I wouldn't want to give up any after-school so, activities and all kinds of things. And yeah. they really thought, you know, they really thought, you know, that this would, you know, go away. So, so, your, <laughs> so your your parents had nothing to do with Hollywood or show business? They didn't, no. So I, I had to get an agent first, and, and they, they thought, okay, well, that'll be hard. And that, you know, that probably won't happen. But it did. And then I uh, had to get a job. And the first, I think I got the first commercial I went out for, but they wouldn't, they didn't have it in their budget to Taft-Hartley me because I wasn't a member of SAG at that time, obviously. And you, you can't work without being a member, but you can't be a member right. without working right. like that. So, right. so I, so they, they promised, I guess, my agent and said the next one will have it for, and they did. So anyway, I, well, well, I did. Well, you're, 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 you're glossing over something pretty dramatic <laughs> here. What was the first audition like? You're seven or eight years old? Yeah, I was nine by that time. Uh -huh. um, I don't remember it well. I think it was a Mattel toy commercial. And Mattel was funny because they, they would make you, it was as important to them how clean you were as it was anything else. How so, clean? What do you mean by clean? Yeah, like well, clean you know, they would make you stick, they would stick at you, you would have to, you know, stick out your hands. And really? um, they, would look, they would look at your hands. And if you had nice hands, like probably they didn't particularly want, you know, chewed up fingernails and things like that. Sure. Because that, that way they didn't have to hire a hand model. Ah. Interesting. Because, see, 
also you're also you're dealing with children. So a children, a, a child hand model would be yet another problem. You know, right. a, a kid who can only That's work true. a certain amount of hours and yes. all that stuff again. You know, so um, so that was important to them. And um, and then I we we had a neighbor also who drew. Uh, you know, he was an, a, an artist and he drew storyboards and stuff. And he would say that would happen all the time. He would draw a little girl hanging upside down from a tree with with pigtails and a, a polka dot dress. And if a little girl in a polka dot dress came in, oftentimes she would get, <laughs> she would get the job because, you know, they, it, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you get an idea of something sure. and then it sticks, you know. I didn't do a lot of commercials. Many kids, I, you know, did many, many hundreds of them. I think normally a, a commercial type at, at that time anyway was more freckle-faced. I had a few freckles, but not that many. And kind of really cute kid. I was kind of, you know, more of a, uh, I don't know. I looked more like Alice in Wonderland than <laughs> at that time with long blonde hair. And, you know, I, di- I didn't look like the little kid hanging upside down from the tree, you know. Anyway, I, um, I was fortunate to do, the you know, the 25 or so that I did. And then I went on and um, got my first part, which mm-hmm. was... Now, while you're doing all these commercials and going out on auditions, are you in school? Yes, right. And I don't, you know, I don't remember the auditions too well, but, but you know, I do remember they all, they all took place after school, and, um, you know, my, <laughs> my mother would pick me up from school and bring, you know, bring a change of clothes in the car, and, you know, I'd change my clothes and brush my teeth. And <laughs> now, now so, so many people uh, on the acting side of the camera feel a great deal of anxiety when they go to auditions or even when they're on the set. And I'm wondering, did you have that feeling? I did okay. Um, I think the only thing that bothered me was when I started reading for parts and I would see people, you know, like Jodie Foster sitting there. <laughs> right. And that, that that was a little, you know, I mean, I knew her. I mean, I had seen her and I knew, you know, she was good. And so I was a little, you know, I felt uh, intimidated, but I wasn't overly nervous. So yeah. your, your first speaking role came on, was it Bewitched? Uh, the Brady Bunch. The right. Brady Bunch. Okay. And how old were you at that time? I was, that was kind of right before Little House, not too far before. It was about, uh, I was about 10. Was was that the episode where you kissed somebody? Right. Uh, I, I was Bobby. Uh, that was very Bobby's, cute. Yeah, first girlfriend, right. Yeah, he had and, braces, uh, I remember that. So how, how was, that's your very first speaking role in a television series. It's That was, at the time, one of the biggest TV series going. What was that like? Because you were not a member of the Brady family. Right. Well, it was it, it was funny because I, I I was, you know, a big huge fan of the show. I used to sit cross-legged on the floor and watch every Friday night. I uh, the the Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family. I watched religiously. So when I got that job, I was just beside myself. I was so excited, and I went in, and I was, and I was disappointed in that everything was so fake. You know, there there was there was <laughs> there was no screen door at all. You know that they kept opening and closing and opening and closing, and it, you know it was not gla- there was just nothing, no glass. Nothing. Fu- it's funny that you remember that still. Yeah, and I and I remember the astroturf for the grass, and um, and I also remember that the kids were older than I thought they were. I ah. I don't know why I thought they were. You know, I just thought they were closer to my age, and of course they were, even Mike Lookinland was a, you know, I don't know two or three years older than I was. 
So I, I was a bit disappointed that they, <laughs> that a reality they weren't check, yeah. the age that I thought they were. Um, but, but they were all very nice, and it was obviously very exciting and very fun. But yes, it was very it, – it, I guess if I could have known at the time, I would have said it looked cheap. <laughs> did you? Did you? Did you? Did you? Under, that looked cheap. <laughs> uh, who was your agent at that time? Uh, Mary Grady. Did you? Have, did she give you any appreciation for how important that little guest spot was? Because, I don't remember. Because that was kind of a career make or break. If you had, it was. It you, was. If you um, had done poorly, you may never have seen a camera again. That's true. That's very true. I uh, no, she didn't do that. She was a fantastic agent and a really nice person. Um, great, great, great woman. Uh, no, she didn't pressure anybody. She was a lot of fun. She she made she made sure that you knew it was business, but she was she also understood that kids are kids, you know, right. and she treated you as a you know like a kid, which was nice. And how long um, after and how long after the Brady Bunch did you go out for Little House? Well, then after that, I went. Uh, I I interviewed for um, the series the series uh, Shaft um, oh. with uh, Richard Roundtree sure. and. Yeah, and uh, I I uh, I was auditioning to play um, Robert Culp's daughter. One of my and favorite one of my favorite actors of that generation, Bob. I Culp. know. Yeah, and I used to see him. He he lived somewhere near us. Was he uh, as Was he as cool as I thought he was? Very cool and nice and nicest guy. Just so nice. I used to see him. There was a there was an Italian restaurant that that we loved and he loved and. And we were, I don't think they took reservations. I can't remember. I doubt it because we were waiting and, um, and I was so hungry and my stomach was growling and I was saying how hungry I was and oh, I'm so hungry <laughs> and <laughs> to my parents and, and he said something to, you know, to the, to the restaurant and, you know, can you please find a table for this little girl? She's starving. <laughs> so he was a nice and guy. <laughs> he was very nice. Yeah. And I can't remember if that was before or after we worked together. I, I think it was before he was very, very nice. And it turns out that we, uh, we found out when we were working together that we were both born in the same hospital. So you went out for Shaft? Mm-hmm. And I got, the, obviously, got that one. And and then I and then I auditioned for Little House after that. And tell me what that process was like, because that they, they must have they must have seen a lot of they must have seen a lot of kids. They did. I I, I heard a number was like two hundred for each role of Mary and Laura. So so when you were sent out on that audition for Little House, did you have any concept of how competitive it was going to be? No, and actually, I had no um, no idea it was Little House either, because my agent Mary, she saw it. She said it's a pioneer western, and um, so off I went. To, and you, to and, and she was right. That's what it was. Right for a pioneer western, and um, and then uh, the first meeting was with the NBC, you know, brass, and I, I sat and spoke to all of them. And did you did you have any did you have any prep for the audition? Did you wear period costume for the meeting? No, 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 and, no. And, and you played bl- a blind role, correct? Well, not in the beginning. Uh, that my character went blind uh, in at the end oh, of the fourth. Oh, that's right. That's Thank right. Goodness. Yeah. So, uh, uh, no, okay. not in the beginning. But, um, but the thing was, they, when I went on, you know, in, into this first meeting, they told me that it was Little House on the Prairie. And that, of course, every kid at that time had read in school, including me. So then it was very exciting because I, I knew the books. So then I realized, oh, this Pioneer Western, I knew what it was then. So it was fun to talk to them about that. And um, Did they actually, then, have, did, did, in that initial meeting, did you read? No. 
No, they just said, you know, would I be interested in, in you know, did I think I was similar to the Mary character? And so that that's I, what that kind of an audition is. What's called the preliminary meet and greet. They want to find yes, out. They want to find right. out if they can stand to be in the same room with you, basically. <laughs> that's right, and uh, yeah, and then after that, uh, I guess they would have most likely narrowed their bunch down. Was Michael Landon part of that meeting? Not the first one, mm-hmm. no. Uh, the, the, they must have narrowed it down, I think, to around like 25 or so of us. And we, we read for Mike Landon. What was that like? Very exciting. And those were the days when you would go and pick up your, you know, you would you would go to the office for your meeting and you'd go a little early and you would pick up your sides and you would rehearse them. And then you would go in and literally hold the paper and read them with whom, you know, the casting person or whoever. For some of the uninitiated sides being three or four oh. pages of the actual script. Right, right. The scenes, yeah. Some scenes that had been pulled out, pulled from the script and, and, uh, and you know, you were expected to read those. But now it's interesting because now they don't do that. Now you're expected to turn in a performance for your audition. Hmm. Um, you know, you, you're emailed your sides <laughs> and you learn them and then you just perform them, which I think is, I don't know why they do it that way now. In some ways, I guess it gives an actor, like if they're self-taping and stuff, which we, you know, that happens too, then it gives an actor a leg up because they can just keep going until they get the one that they like and they submit that one. But if you're going in and meeting somebody and reading in an office with somebody, you're not reading, you're performing. And what if the director, who probably isn't there, uh, and they're putting you on tape, what if they didn't want it that way? Right. You, know? What you, don't, if they, you don't get any feedback, right? No, exactly, right. So I, I don't think it's the greatest way of doing things. I liked it better before, because also reading cold is is an art. <laughs> if you can cold read, you can, yeah, you sure can do a is. lot. Yeah, So, you know, but I, I don't really understand it. So so when, you're, when you met with Michael Landon, that, was that a cold reading, or did they give you prior it signs? It was. It uh-huh. was. Yeah, I, I I went and you know picked you know. Now at my, that time, at that time, he was already a big star. He had been on Bonanza. Everybody knew who he was. He was one of the biggest guys in television. So, did you have any anxiety over that? I mean, that can be pretty intimidating. No, I don't think I knew he was there until I walked in to the office. So it was it was exciting. And did he did he read with you, or did he just observe? He did. Uh-huh. He did, yeah. It was uh, having a real pro. So, read so, <laughs> so at some point in time, Mary Grady calls you and says, "Guess what? You have a job." No, well, it wasn't yet. After that, they uh, had a screen test. So then we had to, you know, go and and um, a whole bunch of us girls for each role. I don't know. There were eight or so of us, I guess, for uh-huh. each role. Eight or ten of us, and we had <laughs> that was funny. We had to go to makeup and hair and then sit in school together because we it was uh, like November or something and we um we all were in school so we had to do our schoolwork with the with the teacher and then we were called out two by two a Laura and a Mary to do the scene and I was let go that day uh in the afternoon when I was finished with school and and I thought okay well I'm sure I, I don't think I got that um because they kept other people and mm-hmm. I thought, well, sure. So you thought, well, they are the ones that they're right. And and some some Laura's, no, some yeah, some people auditioning for Mary were then turned into Laura's, and so I I thought, oh well, I don't think no, I I don't think I. But then I don't know how long it was. It seemed like a very long time, but it was probably only a week or so. Um, and I I got a call uh, at dinner time, and it, it was my agent Mary, <laughs> and she asked. I chronicle all this in my book actually because it was funny. It was very funny. She asked me what I was doing, and I said I was having dinner, and she said, 
what are you eating? <laughs> and I said, or what are you having? And I, and I told her, and she said, she said, well, I have some good news for you. And I, of course, was all excited. And she said, you know, you got the job. But the other side is that they, rather than saying bad news, um, that they want you to lose five pounds. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, and so, I couldn't believe it, but I, I, but, but I was like, sure, I, I can lose five. Why not five pounds? I mean, anybody can lose five pounds. Five pounds, and and I'm well, then finally, I went, why do they want me to lose five pounds? I mean, I wasn't overweight at all, and uh, they thought because I had such a round face that I looked someone anyway thought that I looked too well boy. fed looking for a pioneer. Uh, oh my <laughs> so, god! Um, too well fed. <laughs> And so um, years and years later, I was in the little kitchen area of our set, and I was just hanging around there, and I was talking to the guys, and, and Mike walked up, and he, he we then were all talking, and, and I was drinking one of my numerous um, cabs that I was always drinking at the time, and somebody, of course, made a comment about that, and I mentioned about having to lose the five pounds for the pilot, and Mike Landon had no idea. And I really believe him because he was so... I, the way he said it, he was the, you know, I don't think he knew. And I told him, <laughs> he said, well, it wasn't me. <laughs> no, that, sound, that sounds like something uh, some brilliant uh, network executive came up with. Yeah, I think it might have been Ed Friendly, actually, the other um, executive producer at the time. Uh-huh. And they parted ways. Uh, during the whole show then, you know, you were still really young and right. impressionable and preteen and all this now, th- throughout the whole entire show, were you always conscious of the fact that you could not, in your own way, gain weight? Right, yes. I was always worried that my face looked like a basketball. So so you find yourself suddenly in an ensemble cast of strangers. I mean, you had not worked with these folks before. Right, no. Mm-mm. Tell us about how that works uh, as an actor. You, you come in and suddenly you're thrust together as a family. How, how does the whole personality thing work? Because you guys are... Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, that's where you learn to be professional if you're not already. Because, you know, you have to put any personal feelings you might have, you know, aside and just, you know, act like a professional. But, you know, we, we all got along. Uh, we're, we were very different. We are very different people. But we never fought, and we wouldn't have. Just because we're different didn't mean we didn't get along. We did, but we certainly were not like, like brothers and sisters. Right. We were friends, you know, uh, was, and we weren't like close, close friends, which is probably a good thing because, you know, that's when you have a falling out. And that's then, right. That's right. And then that's not quite so good either. Uh, for kids, anyway. Now, on an ongoing television show, and and you guys obviously had no idea how long the show would go, uh, you're kind of going week to week at that point in time because networks are famous for canceling shows if they aren't really smash hits immediately. How do, how did the directors work with you guys? After the first season or so, um, it turned out to be Mike did about every other episode and Bill Claxton did the other one because Mike didn't get along with other directors too well. And why is that? Because he wanted his vision? Yes. He, he had control issues, I think, and, and it was hard for him to hand over the reins to somebody else. But Bill, he, you know, had kind of literally grown up with as an actor uh, on Bonanza. So he trusted him. So, uh, and Bill was my favorite director. I really, really thought he was great. So many directors work in so many different ways. Some uh, take the Hitchcock view uh, just don't let the actors bump into the furniture. It doesn't really matter what they do. I'm going to frame everything, and it's going to be my movie. And other directors give actors free reign to interpret things. Did you get line readings? Did you? I mean, how how controlled was that cast? 
Well, uh, Mike Landon was more like that. He was, you know, very controlling. Uh, and he would light the scene with the stand-ins before we, like, while we were in makeup. So when we came into the set, we would have no choice but to do and go wherever he wanted us to go because the whole scene would have been beautifully lit already. And, you know, you couldn't re-light it. So, uh, so we had to do what he told us to do. But Bill Claxton wasn't like that. He would rehearse right off the bat with the actors. And so that way, if, you know, if I was sitting in a chair and thought I should get up on some line and walk around, as long as it was, you know, a good decision on my part, he, and, you know, if he agreed with me, I could do that. Right. Uh, so it was more freeing, and it also gave, you know, you felt more like an equal. <laughs> While you're working in this ensemble, and, and the show is really picking up steam and becoming an obvious hit, uh, being renewed year after year, you were also doing a lot of other work. Was that happening during hiatuses? Right. During the hiatuses, I always tried to do something else, and I tried to, to, you know, it was always contemporary. You know, I would do a love boat here and a movie of the week there, and uh, and, and it was great, and I love to work, so, um, uh, you know, it was working out great for me, and, and it got me through. I was one of those lucky kids, really, who didn't, I didn't really have a really awkward phase, thank goodness. And, and then also, I had a good resume uh, for when for when I left the show, I was able to you know move on to other things. How different was it working at Paramount with Landon as opposed to moving over to Aaron Spelling Productions and doing all the stuff he did there? I loved Aaron. I mean, Aaron was a great producer and uh, a terrific guy, and his sets were very well run. Well, one of the one of the advantages of working with Aaron as an actor is that he was an actor at one time. And I forgot he, about that. That's right. Yeah. That's before he ever wrote a script. He was an actor, and and he loved actors. I mean, he would talk. He would talk about his his people. He called them his people, and uh, it was with great affection. I must say. I really, really liked him. I'm trying to think because I uh, I didn't do a lot of serious acting for him until you know I did like you know love boats and stuff. Um, I did a pilot called uh, Midnight Offerings. Uh, that unfortunately happened at the time that Aaron was having a lot of trouble at ABC and he was moving. And ABC didn't pick it up. They were very unhappy with Aaron because Aaron was going to NBC, I think. Right. I can't remember. Right. And uh, anyway, they didn't pick up Midnight Offerings. And Midnight Offerings was cool. And it was a shame. I mean, it was Joan Fontaine, Paul Shinar, and Linda Pearl. You're talking about you're talking about a show called Dark Mansions, and that's where you and I actually worked together because I wrote and produced that turkey. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the story about that, right? I know the story all too well. Jerry London, yeah. Jerry London yeah. directed. Uh, it was Joan Fontaine, Linda Pearl, Paul Shinar, Michael York, and yourself. And of course, what did we do? We cast you as a blind girl. That's right. That's right. But I, that was terrible because I was like dying. And that was a very yeah. big, that was a very big, very expensive production. Right. Uh, I mean, Jerry London did not work cheap and he, he had come off a of Shogun and the cast was probably was a great a, cast, probably right. a, one of the best casts I've ever worked with. And there was, there was awful lot of backstage politics with respect to that shows uh, not getting uh, a green light. Right, because it should have been. I mean, really, everyone thought it would be picked up. It was a huge disappointment for everybody. Right. But, right. you know, that's what, that's what showbiz is. You just cannot right. predict what's going to click. Now, right. now, 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 Melissa, going back to Little House on the Prairie for a minute, towards the end of the run of that show, were you pretty much ready to move on? 
Oh, uh, well, I didn't stay to the end. I did seven years and two shows, the eighth season. That's a long time. Yeah. Because I was blind and uh, <laughs> and I had been blind for so long. And believe me, when you've been a blind pioneer, you know, I, they, they, I, they kept writing tragedies for me. Terrible, terrible, <laughs> unbelievably terrible tragedies. And, uh, you know, there's only so much. So it was either some terrible tragedy or they would put me into a scene like Linwood Boomer and I, who played my husband, um, in a circus scene, you know, in the audience watching the, supposedly watching the circus. Uh, with Mike Landon explaining everything that's happening. And it was just for the audience, you know, to to know that we were still alive. Sure. You know, so it was really a bad, you know, it was just so... It was so, time to it, move on. Yeah. It was, yeah. How, how did, yeah. as an actor, I, I've never known this technique. How do you play blind? How do you, what do you focus on? I don't know how, I think other people do it, you know, everybody does it, has a different way of doing did it. Did you have any but, kind of instruction um, uh, no, I had I, I went to the foundation for the junior blind and okay. I uh, and I to learn the technical things for you know you there are things that you need to know for when a person has been newly blinded and you have to know things when a person for when a person learns to deal with it so like you have to learn how to you know sit down if you if you suddenly can't see uh, most people sit on their hands when they sit because they want to make sure that oh, the chair is actually there. Yeah. There's all kinds of things like that. And then as you learn, like you have to learn how to walk with a cane and you have to learn how to look like you can read Braille and you have to learn how to pour water into a glass and, you know, all these things that, that blind people know how to do once they know how to do it. And uh, so I did learn all that. And then the gaze thing is really uh, not to, for me was not to focus at all. It was to sort of look through things. Right. So that, that I tried to do it so that I could have people walking around and stuff in front of me, and I just didn't see them. I just, and, like, looked through them. No, and the, and, and the camera, I must say, and I don't mean to flatter you, the camera loves your eyes. And oh. <laughs> there's a transparency of emotion that you are able to convey. And, I, and that's really what Aaron was all about on Dark Mansions. He wanted to see that mystery. Right. And you did a great right. job. Yeah, I must say you did a great job of that. Uh, because yeah. you were a very kind of a spooky character in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it was a well, it was a spooky, spooky movie, you know. Oh yeah, it yeah. was fun though, and I wish it had gone because I wanted to work for him because I really liked him, you know. And it just would have been fun, and um, you know, I, I it was so that was so disappointing, and it and it also I I was kind of embarrassed by it because it made me look like I took another job as a blind person. And that wasn't it. You know, it's like, wait, wait, I'm right. going to see again. Really? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I was no, like, no, oh, no. No, uh, uh, Jerry Lennon and I had great plans for your character. Uh, we just never got to realize them. You know, right, we, right. We went, yeah. to, we went to an ASR screening up on Sunset, and the audience simply didn't get it. I think the music had a lot to do with it. I also think, uh, I also think it was a way ahead of its time. Because if you see the stuff now, all the vampire and all the scary stuff on, right. it's a huge right. hit. Too, too ahead of its time, I think. Yeah, it, it wasn't like anything. I was totally not like anything that was on, on the air then. It never stopped you from working. Let's face it. You went on and uh, did The Equalizer and Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Sam right. McCloud. Berks. I mean, you had a lot of credits following that. What was right. that life like? I, you're kind of like a freelance actor at that time? Well, I loved, you know, my favorite... My favorite uh, job was the equalizer because I loved, it's funny to be saying that now, but it always has been because I, you know, I loved New York and I, I, my best friend lived here and I would come and visit her and I loved the weather 
and I, you know, I, and, and they, they were so nice, the equalizer. They just called and asked my, you know, was I available and was I interested? I was like, are you kidding? I love that show. So it was, you know, it was fantastic. It was just fantastic. So that was my, uh, really my favorite job. Now, Melissa, is this where you met your husband, Michael? No, no. No? Uh, no, we didn't meet um, there. He was already off. I think he was at MTM or something at that time. He did the pilot for the Equalizer and then left. Well, just just uh, just, just for the listeners who may not be aware, and I don't want to get too personal, but you are married to Michael Sloan, who created the Equalizer. Right. And right. who has written the recent novel, the Equalizer. And there's a big movie out. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a, a great year for Michael, and we're very proud of him. You know, I worked with him for a couple of years on various shows, and he was always uh, very much uh, an inspiration for me. The, probably the strongest work ethic I've ever seen in the, in the business. He's a pretty hard worker. Yeah. So you guys did not meet at that time. That's interesting. I know. Most people think we did. No, it was after that. I think I had done my first two-parter equalizer. I, yeah, it was between the first one and the second one. And that's when he called or they called about me doing the uh, first uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents uh-huh. um, in Toronto. So, and that's where I met him. So, and so, the reason, uh, and, and also the reason, one of the main reasons I did that was because because there wasn't, they couldn't get me a script in time. I think originally the character that I was playing was older and they had been they had been trying to find an older you know an actress more in her like mid thirties or something. Then my name was mentioned, and I was you know twenty five or whatever at the time. And then by that time, there wasn't even time to get me a script. They needed me to get up there and have wardrobe and start shooting. So so at this so, time so at this time you you've already amassed a, a career's worth of credits, and you're not very old. What what is that working life as an actor like? I mean, are you sitting around waiting for the phone to ring? Are you looking for projects? Is your agent just, you know, banging on doors? How does that work? Uh, well, you hope that your agent is doing that. Usually that's not the case. Uh, you know, they think that, you you know, you've, you've, you've got plenty of money and you can just sit back and, you know, and, and of course every actor is always worried that their, you know, their last job was their last. Sure. You know, so you always want to work, you know. Most actors do have to motivate their, their, their agents. It sounds like a very uh, insecure, kind of scary life, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I would never want it for my kids, <laughs> uh-huh. because you know you want your you want your kids to you know to have a to grow up as normal table. as possible. You know whatever that right. means. But you're right. But what do you tell somebody who, uh, let's say, they come out of high school and they say, "I'm going to be an actor." What do, what do you? Well, t- what I do you... tell them to go to college and have something to fall back on, and then of course try to be <laughs> try to become an actor. Because also there's so many, look at there, there are so many great, great actors that don't ever have an opportunity because, they, you know, it involves a lot of luck also. You know, you can be a fantastic actor and no one will know it. This is a business where luck does play a huge part. Too. So, so Melissa, at any point in time, did you actually study acting? Um, I went to a class. Um, at the time, I think I thought it was more for commercials. But, but I guess it was, you would call it an acting a kids acting class. Interestingly, um, taught by Jerry Taft, and he was an out of work actor. Uh, and he looked just like, I mean, I swear he, that he looked just like Clark Gable. Wow. Just Whoa. like Clark Gable. And um, I don't think that helped him necessarily. Right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, and he would, you know, it was, it was especially for uh, young children. Uh, and, uh, and there were a few older ones, but most of us were pretty young. And so I did that for a while. 
And then, uh, and I think later, and then later on, I went to a few um, of Daryl Hickman's acting classes, uh-huh. and those were those were interesting. And just to when you know when you're kind of like waiting for the phone to ring, <laughs> sure, you know, waiting for something to do, and you want to keep busy and keep active and all that. And so that was very good and helpful. Now, now, so. now, Melissa, growing up in the business, and you were pretty busy when you hit your teen years. Uh, what was your social life like? Uh, the only people I met were uh, were guest stars or or extras or something on the set, you know. And then it was just, you know, uh, I was always around older older people. Sure. Um, so no, it was hard actually, yeah. and everything was so scrutinized, you know. I I wanted to to become my own person. Sure. <laughs> you know, I wanted to get out from under, and yeah, so that, so I kind of just waited till I was older and. Till I was 18 and could do my own thing and make my own choices. And well, that was probably, in hindsight, a smart thing to do because, as we all know, when we're young, we we tend to do foolish things, even if you're not in the business. Do you have any regrets having been such a young performer? I think you know, for me, it worked out fine. I was a child actor longer than I wasn't, and I did enjoy my life. And I had been so shy, and it did sort of help me with that. But on the other hand, it's unnatural. You know, kids shouldn't be working, I don't think. You know, I think kids should be kids. But sometimes kids are not happy being kids. For me, um, you know, I, I, I had an outlet and it, and it was very probably therapeutic for me. So you had a positive you know, experience. It was good for me. So, so Melissa, um, your favorite role so far. I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite role, but certainly my favorite show to do was The Equalizer. But my favorite, um, one of my favorite roles was uh, the second Alfred Hitchcock that I did uh, was during the writer's strike, so they couldn't uh, do an original. It was, and I went back and did, um, and did a comedy called uh, Murder in Mind. It was about a, a busy body, body neighbor. It was really funny, and this, this character talked to the camera, and and uh, I don't know. I just really liked the character, and it was different for me because well, most people think I can't do comedy. Well, most people don't think you can see. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Bob. Now, now, uh, you you recently wrote your autobiography, the way I see it. What, right in uh, 2010. Right. Yeah. What what inspired you to do that, and how how was that process? Because writing is a lot different than acting. I never thought of writing at all. There was a literary agent in New York um, who approached me about writing the book. That's how that happened. Uh-huh. And I did it, but I did not particularly enjoy it. I'm not a writer. <laughs> I also didn't want to write. You know, I, I I would only do it if I could write the book that I wanted to write. And now you're so, a pub- and now you're a published author. <laughs> I am, but I, I guarantee you that will be the only book I write. But no, no future plans to help Michael with the next equalizer. <laughs> No, 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 no. So you, uh, you and Michael have raised your family. Your kids are grown. And uh, what are your plans for the future? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, of seeing if, you know, there are any grandmother roles out there for me, possibly, <laughs> to play. Any thoughts of getting on stage? Uh, I wouldn't be. I would love to. I, you know, I've done it before. You know, I, I, I don't know what's in store for me that way. If anybody, you know, even wants to you know, look at me anymore. I have no idea. Well, but, well, I must say, you look pretty good. Uh, <laughs> well, some, thank some, you. some, some people mature well, and others mature brilliantly. Uh, this is this this is a generation, though. Uh, I think where people over twenty five not only have a second career, but they can have a third and fourth career. Yeah. Well, you know, it's looking better, at least. Yeah, it sure I mean, is. It, 
That's true. And uh, and Juliana Margulies was was very eloquent. Of course, I won't, you know, I can't quote what she said, but it was eloquent at the Emmys talking about, you know, there are a lot of roles for women now. They're, you know, so, you know, you never know. You never know. And how was the red carpet for The Equalizer at the Toronto oh, Film was, Festival? That was pretty cool. Very cool. It was it was something I'd never done before, and that was you know I, I mean on that scale. I must say and, you uh, you and Michael look like rock stars. Yeah, we saw there. a picture of you. You guys look great. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, it was uh, it was very fun, and I'm I'm thrilled you know about the the movie, and I I uh, I've been tweeting um, and uh, getting in, involved, and and the it was so cool. The Equalizer followed me, and they asked if they could if they could use one of one or two of my tweets. And I was like, of course you can. <laughs> it was so exciting. It was very fun. Well, I if must tell you, you're way ahead of me. You're into Twittering. My goodness. Oh, it's fun. Is it is it? fun. It is really fun. Melissa, I must say, we've talked to a lot of folks. I have worked with a lot of actors and actresses. And it's a pleasure talking to somebody who is has been a major star and is very normal. Um, well, and I also was always told that I didn't have the right personality for for the business, so I guess that means I was too normal, too. I guess that, well, that's well, a compliment. Well, <laughs> well they, they could have been wrong, because there aren't many people who've had a career that can match yours, and I must say, you've come a long way since the days of Mary Ingalls. I just can't tell you how much we appreciate your doing this. Oh, well, it's my pleasure, and thank you, thank you again for asking. Thank, thank you, you, Melissa. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You Bye-bye. too. Okay, bye. Such a nice person. Very nice. Yeah, it was great talking to her and hearing kind of the inside scoop on uh, that Hollywood career that started so young. So listen, before we go, I want to remind everybody, go to the website at wherehollywoodhides.com. Take a look at our book. It's the perfect gift. It's, it's the perfect... where Hollywood hides Santa Barbara celebrities in paradise. Thank you. It's hardcover, full color. It's a real collectible. It's the perfect It'll gift. It'll be great for the holidays. Hey, listen, I do want to mention, we really appreciate the comments and feedback we're getting from places as far away as Belgium, Sweden, the island of Martinique. 64 countries. 64 countries, including Japan, Italy, New Zealand, Australia. Germany. It's incredible how far these podcasts go and how many people are attuned to where Hollywood hides. Very exciting. And we are shipping books overseas as well. So anybody from any of those 64 countries, hit that buy now button on the website. We'll ship it out promptly. If you like these podcasts, please just take a moment to go to iTunes where Hollywood hides and give us a five-star rating and maybe even a couple of review comments like how much you like us. And when you're on FB, that's Facebook for those seniors who are just coming around to blogging on. Please visit the Where Hollywood Hides page and give us a quick like. It really does help get the word out. And today's music is provided by Chance McCullough. You can find more of his original soundtracks at chancemccullough.com. Thanks for listening. This is Bob McCullough. And this is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. I just want to wish everybody happy Halloween. See you at the movies. Another Papa Dion, your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his five. Hooray for Hollywood!
people think.